Well, good morning again, friends, and welcome to our time together. Hey, we are continuing on a sermon series called Treasure. And the focus of this series is that our bodies are a gift, that we've been given something very special, and that it's in our bodies, actually, that we experience God. We don't experience God in some great distant place, but here. And that our bodies were made, actually beautifully made, made good, so that we could experience God. Did you know that God wants to speak to you? God wants to hear from you. God wants to work in your heart, soul, mind, strength, and between you and other people. This is the work of God in us. And so this has been what our series has been about, as we've been exploring all the ways that God uh, is active and at work in our bodies that he gave to us. Hey, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we're learning how to care for these bodies so that we can live into this great invitation of Jesus to love God with all of it. Well, taking care of our minds, this part of it, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, we we do not often take care of our minds very well. Our minds are something that we can neglect just as well as we can neglect our bodies. And we do not often think about what our minds are good for and what they can do for us and around us. You see, for our thinking life, for our memory, for our ideas, we do not know how to even order our inner life so that we can use it well. Our minds, they are they're something that might, um, that maybe has betrayed us before, It's maybe taken us down some dark paths. Uh, Our minds get fixated on things. Our minds can become ill. There's a whole lot that goes on inside of our minds. And this is why I think Jesus was so, so focused to say that we have to tend to our minds. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning in this message. If we think of our bodies as being on a particular diet, what is the diet that your mind is on? What do you feed it? What do you expose it to? How do you nourish it? How do you comfort it? And how do you set it to a task? What are you doing with your mind? Is it incidental to your life? Or do you know that you have a mind and that you are are working in some way to put this mind not only to good use, not only to enjoy it, uh, but to see it come alive and to see it participate in what God is doing around you. You see, we care for our bodies, or I try to care for my body because I want to be able to get off my couch and play with my kids. I want to be able to uh, to get it to work. I want it to be able to eat and digest properly. And so I think about my body uh, and I want to do good with it. And the older I get, the more I think about my body. We prepare our bodies to be healthy for a task so that it doesn't fail us when we get to the task that's in front of us. We only have one body, so we take care of it. We feed it, we exercise it, and guess what? I don't leave it in a snowbank at the end of every day. No, I clothe it, I clean it, I I put it in a cozy bed at the end of the night, I give it a bath, uh, because I want to protect this, this body. I only have one of them. The same is true of our mind. We need to feed it. <laughs> we need to care for it, we need to exercise it, and we need to keep it safe. We can have fun with our mind, we can take it on adventures, we can do great things with it, we can take it for a run, but we need to to set it up to thrive, rather than put it in a place that it's going to struggle. When I was young, I remember a very distinct moment in my own development of my mind, 
when I was a young kid, I started to read and there was a journey that I went on to become a reader. But I remember one day in the basement of the church that we were attending, I remember having some questions and I remember pulling aside the Sunday school teacher uh, that was there at that day. And I had some questions. I think that there were simple questions. I thought that there were simple questions, basic questions. Maybe they didn't have easy answers, but the questions themselves, I laid them out there. And this is what my Sunday school teacher said. Stop asking so many big questions. It was a challenge for me. And in that moment, as I was asking the Sunday school uh, teacher these questions, I felt like God was opening a different door. Not to say don't ask any more questions, but to say, come and ask me your biggest questions. Come ask me your toughest questions. Come on a journey with me. You see, I was learning to feed my soul as a young man. I was learning to tend to my heart. I was learning to love other people. But my, and all those parts of my life were, were hungry, but my mind was ravishing. It was so hungry to learn and to grow. And I sensed God saying to me, do not settle for a life where your mind is unengaged. Come ask me questions and I'm going to meet you there. I'm going to take you as far as you want to go wrestling with your mind. And so I found myself on a journey to ask, seek, and knock like Jesus invites us to, to ask the big questions, to wonder not only about this world around me, the physical world around me, but, but big questions about God and the universe. It's like God invited me into these big questions. And so I remember it was like my first month at my first year of college. I was going to Covenant Bible College, used to be in Strathmore, and I remember stepping into the shower early one morning before class. I remember it was a very pivotal moment in the life of my mind because I remember God almost distinctly saying to me, Preston, do you want to learn? And I remember just saying, yes, yes, I want to learn. And God, I can't even almost put it into words, but God said, almost like he was giving me a gift, to say, then I'm going to let you learn as much as you want to learn. I'm going to go, go with you on a journey in your mind to have your mind shaped like mine. And it was a gift. I remember just like weeping in the shower just and, and being so full of joy that God would want to do this. And so it was the start of a decade for me, not to just get smart. That wasn't really my interest at all. I knew that there'd always be smarter people, but to almost take my mind and give it to God, to let him fill it, to let God shape it. And so I did. I went on this journey and it felt like God just opened every door for me to keep on this journey. I did a bachelor's degree and a master's degree and eventually a doctorate. I wrote and I read and I'd sit there and every time I would learn and read, I had this little ugly red chair that I'd sit in and I classes that I'd attend. And all of these were like pivotal moments in the shaping of Preston's mind. And I felt like Jesus was with me in every single one of these steps. He was there because he loved. He loved this journey that his son Preston was going on to shape his mind. And I realized that I was allowed to ask any question. There's no question off the table. I could doubt, which I did. I could, I could cry, which I did. I could wonder, which I did. And I would dig deeper and deeper. And I did not find uh, a place that I could not go in my questions and wondering. David Wolfe, he said this, he said, the believer is a critical adventurer. I love that. The believer is a critical adventurer taking rationally responsible risks. His point is that we can take a deep dive. Our faith is not blind. Uh, we can ask big questions and we can be critical. Not in this kind of 
a perpetually negative, uh, angry sort of criticism, I think. But this, but, but we can always probe. We can probe deeper. Uh, we can take steps. We can, we, we can trust that there's deeper answers out there. And that we can do it. And that God and the Bible will meet us there. There's a whole bunch of people. I just, I listed some of them here who are people who many of them weren't Christians who became Christians or many of them were Christians all the way through their journey of learning. These are people that let their mind be the place of worship for them, a place that was a temple in this world where they could meet God. C.S. Lewis was a theologian who encountered Jesus. St. Augustine didn't follow Jesus. He was a professor and he eventually did. Uh, and and became a saint and wrote all sorts of things. Blaise Pascal was a was a mathematician and wrestled over as this mathematical mind who who God God was and uh, discovered many beautiful things. G.K. Chesterton was a philosopher and loved complex ideas. And uh, Mary Anning was a paleontologist. She discovered some of the first dinosaur bones and she loved Jesus deeply. Isaac Newton discovered gravity and they say that Isaac Newton read more of the Bible every day than he did of, of philosophy and physics and so and so. Or Francis Collins. He's the head of the Human Genome Project. And here's somebody that actually came to faith through his mind, through discovering these, these things. In fact, I got here a short little clip uh, from uh, Francis Collins as he reflects on the, own, on the journey of faith that he went on uh, to use his mind, giving it to God and then discovering uh, God in the world around him. So let's take a look at that. I was pretty much a hermit in terms of my scientific experiences in graduate school. And I longed for something that was more focused on people. And I realized that wasn't just that I wanted to have a community of other scientists that I could interact with. I want to work on something that's relevant to humans. And at the same time, I got exposed by auditing a course on biochemistry, learning about DNA and RNA, and it was very mathematical. And it fit nicely into the kinds of things that I thought would really be fun to work on. I figured I may as well go the whole way. <laughs> and give myself a chance not just to study human biology, but to be part of it as a doctor. Coming out of science, realizing that the evidence for a creator was actually pretty interesting. There was, after all, the Big Bang, and uh, wait a minute, what happened before that? All that stuff I did as a graduate student with quantum mechanics, all these elegant equations that I loved, they were not just mathematics, they were beauty to me. <laughs> Maxwell's equations describing electromagnetism. That is so amazing, and that's truth right there, those equations. Wait, wait a minute, why should nature be beautiful in this way? <laughs> why should mathematics work? The laboratory can be thought of a place of worship, just like the cathedral, because you get the chance once in a while as a scientist to discover something that no human knew before, but God knew it. So it's a little glimpse of God's mind. In a way, that's what science is doing. It's glimpsing God's mind and being in awe of that. To know your own instruction book, 
It's got to be one of those profound moments for the human journey to be able to read it out, to be able to begin to understand how it actually guides and directs this phenomenally complex process of taking you from a single cell, which we all once were, to a fully formed human being with incredible complexities. I didn't dream, as I was learning about DNA, that we would, in my lifetime, be able to read out that entire script. It just seemed too enormously complicated. This was the most significant thing that was going to happen in my lifetime, as far as an understanding of human biology. And if it failed, well, at least we would have tried. So I made the leap. A lot of really dedicated people came alongside from six different countries and 20 laboratories and all agreeing to work side by side and not worry about who got the credit. My job was to try to keep the momentum going and be sure that the quality of the data was the best it possibly could be and that if somebody fell behind, somebody else stepped in to make up the difference. And when we got to that moment where on June 26, 2000, in the East Room of the White House, announcing that we had a pretty good draft. My comments that day were about God and about the fact that we had now seen the language that God used to speak us into being. One of the many revelations about our own genome was the ability to compare it between people and find out that the similarities are just breathtaking. It's about 99.6% across the whole genome. And that would be true if I picked almost anybody on the planet. That's the other thing that I found particularly powerful about this. For anybody who tried to make arguments that there's some humans that are really not quite the same as part of our family, you can't get there. Science will not allow it. We are all one family, and it is so clear at that level. I've had all kinds of interesting challenges in my career as a medical scientist, as a leader of an organization that tries to find answers to all kinds of medical problems that cause human suffering. I've never had anything like COVID-19. And let's be clear, we have not had an epidemic of an infectious disease like this in more than 100 years. So if we're all feeling this is pretty overwhelming, there's a reason for that. I feel that God has in some way instilled in me this desire to spend my life, at least in part, trying to reach out to those who are suffering and need help. And the tools of science, a gift from God to be able to sort out things like the human genome and then apply them to relieve the suffering of a child. What an incredible way to feel that connection with the creator of the universe. The Bible actually tells us of several people who engage their minds with God and God was able to use them at some pivotal points in the story of God. They, God put their minds to work to repair, to make, to shape, to guide, and to comfort. And we can see in the Bible that these well-trained minds and these exercised minds are used by God. 
King Solomon, a famous story, is this king when he was invited by God and God said, what do you want? I'll give you anything. And Solomon thought about it and he said, I want wisdom. And God gave it to him. In 1 Kings 4.29, it says this, God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the East and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezraite and the sons of Machol, Heman, Kalkol, and Darda. Great names. So he was smarter than apparently these smart guys. His fame spread throughout the surrounding nations. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from cracks in a wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, and small creatures and fish. And the kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. Isn't this interesting? He had proverbs about how to live life, but then he's also a botanist. He loves things growing between cracks. He's curious about the world around him. He's kind of this like uh, this this uh, scientist, this Renaissance man, and he's God's king, and it's cool the way that is using his mind. Well, Solomon would go on to write all these proverbs, which which we read here three thousand years later, and he would go on to even build the very first temple. It's fascinating what this guy did with his mind and the way that when he asked for wisdom, God put it to good use and did good things with it. Great things, in fact. There's another story of a fellow named uh, Ezra. Ezra was this guy who was taken into the Babylonian exile. And while he was away in exile, in this really hard time, he didn't neglect his mind. In fact, he put his mind to work. Uh, the Bible says that he would study and he would get God's laws into his mind. He would study these things, and God did some pretty fantastic things with him. It says this, uh, He had begun to journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord, and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. So here's this guy who dedicated his mind to God, and then guess what happened? God used him. His mind was put to good use to not only get his people out of Babylon, but to then set up a home for them. Fantastic. People with minds that are given over to God, God has something to use. Here's another story. When Paul came to faith uh, in, in the New Testament, uh, when he came to faith, he was already a well-trained Pharisee. He had put his mind to pretty good work learning about the Bible, the Torah, the way of God, but his mind wasn't actually dedicated to God. Yet. And so when he encountered Christ and he was blinded and he came to faith, he then went away for another three years and had his mind shaped even more by God. But this time, his mind was being shaped into the likeness of Christ. Well, he returned and he wrote uh, so many of the books of the Bible. He wrote Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Colossians and Philippians. He wrote all of these letters. And these letters today uh, reveal the way that his mind was shaped and reformed by God. N.T. Wright calls the book of Romans, for example, one of Paul's masterpieces. He says, What nobody doubts is that we are here dealing with a work of massive substance, presenting a formidable intellectual challenge while offering a breathtaking theological and spiritual vision. Pretty much what he's saying is this little letter, the book of Romans, is epic. In fact, some people say Paul's book of Romans has shaped the whole Western world and the world you and I live in today. 
The reason why we can have hospitals and good government and peace and all of these things is because of some of the foundational ideas that Paul laid out with his mind that he gave over to Jesus. In fact, in Romans 12, 2, it says this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, Paul says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Paul lays out in this epic um, book of Romans that it is your mind that can be shaped by God. That we aren't shaped by the things of this world, by the customs of this world, by the, by the habits of this world, but we're reshaped by God. Our minds are pivotal in this. So if God uses all of these key people who took the time to let their minds be shaped by God, and these people not only saved, but comforted and built a place for thousands, if not millions of people to have peace and life and hope, what is it perhaps that we can do with our minds? that can shape the well-being of so many here in Chestermere. But we are given a mind and you can give your mind back to God. You could say, God, I want to invite you to use my mind so that you can do something with it. You may be invited when you give your mind over to God. You may be invited to exercise it differently. You may be invited to feed it differently. You may be invited to put something different into your mind than maybe you have been. Uh, you may find that you don't leave your mind out to be exposed in a snowbank um, unthoughtfully, but that you actually take and you protect your, your mind. You care about what you put into it. You care about what it chews on every day. And you may find that one day, as you've fed your mind, as you've exercised it, as you've protected it and cared for it well and let love nurture inside of it, that one day God might invite you to use your mind for something really cool. That God might use your mind to care for someone in a that needs a complex level of care. Or to repair something that's broken in our world or in our city or in your home. That takes some mind energy to make that work. Or to create something beautiful. To write something. To make music. To do some mathematical equation. To solve some financial difficulty. Your mind could be used to do great things in this world and, uh, and the sky's the limit for what God might be using your mind for. God loves this world and he loves you and he made you to do Jesus things in this world. You see, at Lake Ridge, our church, our community, we are not called to be mindless people. We are not called to coast and we are not called to be... Uh, being buffeted around by every tweet, headline, gossip, or TV show that wants to take up residence in our mind. We are called to be people who feed our mind on the things that bring God hope and joy in this world. We're called to have the mind of Christ. And so we, as God's people here, need to take seriously, I believe, what it is to feed our minds really, really well, so that when the time comes, to build, fix, repair, care, stand up for what is wrong and fix and make something right again, that we are ready for the task, that we don't buckle under because we've only been formed by, um, by wishy-washy things. We're being invited to read. We're being invited to listen, to ask and to learn, 
Maybe we are being invited to have a mentor, somebody uh, who can walk with us and help shape our minds. But ultimately, we are being invited to let God's Holy Spirit shape our mind into the likeness of Christ. This does not happen by accident. We do not stumble into it. We don't accidentally become healthy in our body. We have to make choices. And we don't accidentally stumble into a mind that's shaped like Christ. There's a lot of intentionality to it. Solomon, Ezra, Paul, these are people who took time to learn and to grow. When our minds are curious, when we love well, when we reflect hope, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness in the world around us, guess what? Then we know we've done the work of tending well to the life of our mind. So friends, may you take the gift of the mind that you've been given and may you see it for the beautiful thing that it is. May you not neglect it, leave it out, or give it a poor diet, but may you uh, let God fill your mind well. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace in the mind that you've been given. Bless you, my friends. And we look forward to seeing you again soon. Amen. Amen.